So, Texas has a new football coach. But, pretend we're football for the next hour. I'm your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Johnny Brashear and Timothy Preston, as always. You guys listen to the Horsecast channel, which you guys can find on any podcasting platform out there. Today, we're going to be going over, you know, what happened in Lawrence. It was pretty neat. And then we're going to go over the game today, Iowa State, and the game coming up on the 9th, West Virginia. Take a look at those two teams. So, y'all, um, how's it going? Anything interesting happened over the past few days? Uh, no. I watched my favorite basketball team win at a place they've only had won at one time before, and they won pretty convincingly. I thought it was great. That's not that interesting. Tim yeah. has finally let everyone know that his favorite team is actually the Washington Generals. So then, Tim, who exactly are you talking about? Uh, my beloved Texas Longhorn basketball team. Taking down Kansas oh, you, and Lawrence and, at the Fog. You're mm-hmm. right. That that happened, didn't mm-hmm. it? That was pretty neat. Huh. That was that was pretty neat. Well, here's So a little bit behind the curtain once again for everybody. Uh, I have two, well, not small children, but I have two children that, and, and a wife that I'm quite afraid of that I make sure that I am. <laughs> they're, they're small for Iowa. <laughs> that I'm careful. My daughter is actually quite tall. But my son is very, is pretty average height and build. But uh, anyway, so it's 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 super rare that I watch any game like legitimately live. Like I might I might end up finishing a game live ish once I've gone through other commercials and halftime and stuff. But it's pretty rare that I watch a game live. Very rare. And I think I've I've kind of pulled Johnny into that same vortex of awesomeness of of starting a game like you know an hour and ten minutes late and kind of staying off of social media. Uh, Define awesome. It's wonderful. It's great not having to like watch any commercials, not have to worry about all that stuff. It's 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 a magical way to watch basketball. Yeah, you can watch a college game in about 45 minutes if it's you so... if yeah, if if you blast through all the commercials, don't watch any of the halftime stuff. Yeah, you you can knock it knock it out pretty quickly. I can take my dog for a 5k. I can come home and shower. I can empty and load the dishwasher. And kind of be at where I want to be. So I'll basically be finishing the game when it finishes, which is awesome. So I'm not like way behind as far as, as far as, you know, adding anything to the site or, or being able to jump right onto Twitter and missing everything. But, uh, I was relatively live this game. So when it got done, I was so excited. I needed someone to call. And I was nervous about calling Johnny because I didn't go on Twitter first. So I called Dub Bay. And uh, I was like, hey, Will, how's it going? And he's like, what the hell are you calling me for? <laughs> and uh, I was like, I'm on my run with Murphy. That's my dog. I was like, I'm very excited. <laughs> we should podcast right now. <laughs> and we, we we didn't podcast <laughs> that moment, but it was it was pretty great. I love the Longhorns. Hook them. What was your favorite part of the pretend year football? Mine was when they danced around the best game Texas ever played for a real long time. Anybody want to get high? <laughs> I got no idea what's going on. I got no idea what's going on. <laughs> so, make sure you Texas bring basketball, a towel. right, y'all? <laughs> Texas basketball. 
I guess they beat, you know, one of the best programs out there, one they haven't beaten much in quite ever. a while. Yeah, it's, since, yeah, it's rare. You know, by just a mere 25 points. So, Johnny, is this the best Texas basketball team ever? Depending on when you define when a decade starts, it's definitely the best of this decade uh, and possibly of the last 10 years. If you want to want to pretend that we're only talking about like that part of the 2011 team that lost to Arizona on the three seconds call, then yes, it's the best since at least then. You know, Texas was getting talked about as a two seed prior to this game, and there's they're starting to show up as the, the fourth one seed in some brackets now, which um, I haven't seen Lunardi do it yet, and I know he's not the most accurate of the guys out there, but that's sort of, you know, the last entry of the advent calendar you want to open up. Like, when he puts him in as, as a one seed, you're like, no, that's that's the good stuff right there. Like, that's on ESPN. People can't ignore that. Um, so it's pretty cool. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sort of like Ricky Bobby in his first interview after winning a race. I don't know what to do with my hands. Um, I just, just kind of hold him up by my head and yeah, I, it took a while to process that game. Like I, I had a point with, I don't know, 10 minutes left or 11 minutes left, like just as Texas was starting to really separate where I paused it and I just walked around for a few minutes because I was like, I'm still convinced that they're pro- this is probably going to die just because, I mean, even though everything seems like it's going really well, it's still Kansas. It's still Lawrence. I, I got a lot of baggage there, and I'm not willing to admit that this is about to happen. So I'm just going to marinate on this 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 joyful moment because I don't know if it's going to last the next 30 minutes, much less the next few days. So I'm just going to hang out. And then I went and watched the rest of it and was richly rewarded. So that was nice. They were up by eight and a half, right? And I didn't believe... I don't, when was the point you believed it was real? I think it was, for me, was the Matt Coleman step-back jumper to put them up by 17. So, when you say real, are you talking about, like... I mean, it, they looked for real basically the whole time. Like, nothing about it felt super fluky, but... Uh, no, 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 like, like the point where you were convinced that Kansas wasn't going to make a miraculous comeback. Uh, about the time that... Kai Jones decided to try a one uh, one dribble uh, layup from the three point line. I was like, okay, clearly, clearly they they feel they got this in the bag because they're letting Kai just do things at this point, and Kansas does not seem terribly interested in stopping him from doing things. So yeah, so, somewhere around there is when I was like, okay, all right, this is actually going to be a win. Uh, up until so that's what around the under four timeout something like that prior to that it was just sort of guarding against my own inner hope it was just sort of like i i can't i can't no they just don't 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 get your hopes up you know what happens when you get your hopes up against kansas and and so yeah so probably about the under four timeout tim so to your first question the best Texas teams in my lifetime, or at least that I am conscientious of, was BMW, TJ's freshman year, TJ's sophomore year. I'm not counting the Reggie Freeman Sweet 16 where they beat, like, Coppin State in the second round and, like, we had to, like, get a block shot at the last moment to beat them. I'm, I'm just not going to take a win over a 15 seed as a, as a truly great team. But PJ Tucker's freshman year. Gibson and Aldridge's sophomore year, or sorry, yeah, 
Durant freshman, DJ sophomore. Are you just gonna list everything since nineteen eighty nine? No, and then and then <laughs> and then uh Jacobin, Corey, Tristan, and Jordan. So that's what, six teams? That sounded like twenty. It did sound like it sounded like a solid Baker's dozen. Uh, what was BMW O two O three O four? The nineteen forties were a pretty good time for Texas. So <laughs> maybe maybe that nineteen forty two, forty three, and forty four team. Stop! Stop! No, look! Look! Since nineteen ninety, there have been seven or eight Texas teams that have been kind of head and shoulders above everything. So I don't think choosing eight teams in a that's like a quarter of the selection criteria that's that's you, you chose like eight out of 30 well which one are you leaving out my guy i'm just, well so here here's, you tell me here's which one answer. of those doesn't what, belong which, which one was the year that cj miles was supposed to show up and didn't was oh, that yeah that's oh six is that oh six that is yeah. that was the best team to me if he's there oh right. yeah clearly but even without that was like a probable final four team with him they're like national favorite oh so, yeah so yeah. that that would be to me the quote-unquote best texas team in terms of like that team's you know being put together i i understand picking like tj's team or maybe the bmw team over that for for other reasons like you know on court performance for example that tj got to the final four but but for me that one is the one that's like the biggest could have been of all of them maybe Right. Well, and it's it's tough to call them the best when we say that that team with CJ Miles would, you know, was awesome. He played zero minutes for them. But here's why I bring all of those teams up. I feel at this point pretty clearly that this team, talent wise, just talent wise, belongs in that conversation. And I also think <laughs> that at this point, I don't think there's any of those teams that this team would go winless against. And maybe each cool win <laughs> that this year's team gets, you're like, okay, maybe not just like they wouldn't be bad against those teams. Maybe they would hold their own. Maybe they would even kind of knock a few of them down. Maybe this team beats Durant's freshman year. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this team has the depth to take down 2010, 2011. Maybe this team has is one good Jericho Sims game away from beating the 06 team. I, you know, those those kind of hyperboles are a little bit strange to, to even think about. But look, from 1990 until 2011, Texas basketball had some stretches of not great, but had some stretches of really good. I mean, you could argue that they are a top 10, top 15 program under, under that time frame. There's a lot of elite eights and sweet 16s inside of that time frame. That Yeah, that, Barnes had a five or six year run where he, he was on par with Michigan State and Duke. Right. Like in and terms of, of their, their overall performance. So, yeah. There's a reason that Kentucky wanted Barnes. I mean, there's, there's a reason that K Kentucky wanted him. So when I start thinking of... I mean, obviously, nine games in is way too early to compare to a Final Four team <laughs> that that got all the way there and 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 did something that yeah, no we other were very Texas much team. jinxing this team's performance for the rest of the year. S certainly, this is but... the best Texas team ever. <laughs> Win like, winless rest of the year. What I think we can start thinking about is what sort of things does this team have that could cause problems no matter who they're playing, which is a much more fun conversation. Uh, it's ridiculous to think about how would they compare with 
against a guy like Aldridge. I don't know that there's anyone on this team that will have the kind of career that LaMarcus Aldridge will have. It's pretty darn unlikely. I don't even suppose there'll be a lot of guys on this team that will have the careers in the NBA that Corey Joseph and Tristan Thompson would have. I mean, that would be a, a great... Greg Brown? I don't... I mean, maybe. Maybe. I mean, not. I don't I don't think he'll be remembered like Tristan Thompson will be. Uh, you know, a, a champion who is, was kind of a... a Tristan a, Thompson... Being remembered like him, is that a good thing or <laughs> on the court, on the court? But I like the depth on this team far more than I like the depth on Durant's freshman year. I like the depth far more than I like from, from the Lamarcus Aldridge year. That was a terrific starting five. There was not a lot of great depth. It's fun to think about this team and simultaneously know, look, let's not, we're not going to truly compare them to those teams, but it's also neat to think about hey, there is enough talent, there is enough explosiveness and production on this team that you could realistically say, oh, on a great day for this team, I think they could hang with with just about anybody, whether it's in the 2020 and 2021 season or even some historical seasons for Texas, which is awesome. And there's still the rest of the season to play out here again. This team still has a lot of games to play. And and we we don't need them to do what the 2009-2010 team did. like Exactly. And I, one thing, I'll, uh, and I'll put this to Tim, I guess, is something about that 2009-2010 team, as they started to get close to number two and number one, it felt like there were cracks showing. And it I don't know if I'd say it felt fluky, but it did feel a little like they were kind of a, a star that burned a little too bright too early. And then they just kind of cratered towards the end um i but i don't recall having like a specific reason for feeling that it was just sort of a vibe i got off that team do you remember anything about that team that was like okay this is this is not built to be successful long term it's painful to consider because he was such a guy who who bled burnt orange and was so easy to root for but when i think of that 2000 first of all (laughs) okay (laughs) sorry two things Damian James was straight butt as a defender. He was a really bad defensive player. <laughs> and and that's something that I think kind of gets lost sometimes about about him because he he worked really hard and what he what he brought to the table was super good, but he was just legitimately a bad defensive player on a team that kind of, you know, wanted their identity to be identity to be defense. So there, there were a number of times where that was obvious. And I touch on that because if you go back and look, and in hindsight's obviously 2020, but I don't think that I would feel comfortable at all saying, wow, Jacobin and Jordan from their freshman year to sophomore years took these enormous jumps that they just weren't ready to play their freshman year. And but Texas goes to Baylor that year, and this was in the height of Baylor's 1-3-1. And Justin Mason in one of those games played 30 minutes and took one shot. If I could just dial in on exactly one thing about that season, it would be that Justin Mason was a nice player. And if if you would ask me after his freshman year, if he could have been a, a contributor on a really, really good team, I would have said, yeah, but by his senior year, it just, it just wasn't there. And Rick played him against a zone team for 30 minutes and he scored zero points. <laughs> And and I'm just not sure that you can play a non-shooting 
wing player like that for those type of minutes against a zone team and hope to be good. But Rick was just wound so incredibly tight that he, you know, it was defense. You play our way, you make it happen. And Jordan and Jacobin were not good defenders at that point and weren't able to kind of bring what he wanted. And so he wouldn't play them. Like if Jordan's not going to, not going to bring it on both sides of the court, then you're not going to play, which was fine, except for Damian James was trash on defense. So on the one hand, you have this weird dichotomy of like, you're only going to play if you're good at defense. And then Damian James was really bad at defense. So we're not going to play Jacobin and Jordan, even though they're way more gifted than Justin. And it just, it just felt like, you know, Rick could not mend all these things together. And I, I don't think Shaka is going to fall to those same circumstances with a team like this, mostly because I don't think there's a Justin Mason on this team, but also because he just, I don't think he's built in that same way. So let me boil that down for you, Tim. Basically, you don't think what's happened in 2010, 2009, 2010 is going to happen this year. Is that what you're saying? This team has better depth. This team is much more athletic with better length. I, I mean this not. very seriously. Probably, Probably not. not. Okay, thank yeah. you, thank you, Johnny. Uh, <laughs> let me ask you. So let me let me ask you guys this: When you talk to Texas fans about why they're not going to jump all in, I really think the burn from two thousand nine, two thousand ten, just is so bright for all of us. It's not just that; it's every single year. No, every it's single not. year. No. It's not because we've been pretty bad those other years. We like nothing was ever the promise of that. So last year we were nine and one, I think, or at least text, they won what their like the first eight games or something like that last year. But we were talking smack. We were not going in the same way. But if you go look at like who we've beaten and how we've beaten them, it's a very different thing. So here, let me super super briefly. The starters in two thousand nine two thousand ten was Justin Mason, Avery Bradley. Damian James, Doge Balbay, and Dexter Pittman. So I'm wondering which of those guys starts on this team. Who do you start from that 2009-2010 team on this team? Avery Bradley. Yeah, I agree. That's it. I would start Greg Brown over Damian James right now, which is ridiculous. It's heresy. But I, I really think I would do that. I think the only person I would say for sure is Avery Bradley. All right. So, Tim, you made your point. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure I made my point? <laughs> I'm not sure. Maybe we should go for another 15 minutes. But uh, let's talk about what spurred the margin of victory against Kansas. How did Texas get to a 25-point win against Kansas? Where did that come from? And how did Texas get to that point? Well, I'm going to... Hand this over to Tim for the next 12 minutes and turn off my mic. Um, so, so the thing is this, right. since 2003. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, you know, the, one of the main things to me is that, uh, Texas is a much better rebounding team this year than they were last year, uh, on both sides for that matter. But what, um, what I, I find the most interesting is that their defensive rebounding has been really consistent regardless of the opponent. And when you are trying to either limit a team from coming back or uh, limit a team from blowing you out, keeping them to one shot and out is a great way to do that. And it's something that they've done against enough other teams that I feel like that's something they could probably do pretty well against anybody who's left on the 
on the schedule uh, as long as they pay this sort of mind to it. The other is that they have a a good three-point defense in that they limit the amount of threes that that the opponent takes and they limit the quality of threes that they take. So it's it's not so much an outcome thing. You know, the fact that teams are not hitting many threes against them is a little bit of a luck thing, but it's also born out of the fact that uh, Texas keeps them from getting catch and shoot open threes very often. And it also they also close out on them well enough that they sort of deny some threes that otherwise might have been taken. So th- those to me were the two sort of primary things that led to Texas winning. As for the margin, I mean that's that's partly the the fact that Texas got really hot in the second half from three, and they just didn't let Kansas have a chance to to make a run at any point. See, for me, I think one of the biggest reasons Texas was able to do what they did against Kansas is one of the things we've been talking about this entire year, finding a third and or fourth score. They didn't just find a third or fourth score. They found a fifth scorer as well in Jericho Sims. I think Jericho Sims having as good a game as he did with what was it? Eight defensive rebounds and 11 points. Him being your fourth, your fifth scorer, you know, behind Kai Jones and then, Courtney Ramey and Matt Coleman and Andrew Jones having your fifth score. That's how you got to 25 point margin against Kansas. I like that getting a fourth score was how you beat Kansas getting to the fifth score. That's how you took it up a notch. That's how you took it from that number. You know, if you're looking at a, a, an amp taking it from eight and nine, turning it to 10, 11 and 12. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, it was wild. I hate, you know, obviously I think that, what you guys are a little bored from me talking about today is just being so historical with some of that. And that's legit. But I think when you go back through the years and look at when Texas plays Kansas, and I think all of us care about basketball enough that we probably know who Kansas is starting five are most years. Like even if you don't start know their with whole... the LaSalle Thompson era when we go back <laughs> through the years. Right. So <laughs> who's the, when Slater Martin was dribbling his way through defenses <laughs> on the 40 acres, but <laughs> I watch Kansas basketball when, when they're not playing Texas. Like if they're on Big Monday or something like that, or if, if they're on a game, you know, on a Tuesday night or whatever, or Saturday, I'll watch them. Like I enjoy watching college basketball, so I'll watch them. So I'm, I'm always kind of aware of of their best players and their starting fives with stuff. But whenever Texas plays them, I, I don't follow them closely enough to have a whole lot of awareness of their of their bench. But it sure felt like over the last 20 years, and this is a testament to how good, you know, obviously we know how good Roy Williams is, but also how good Bill Self has been, that I kind of talked myself into, oh, well, we've got, you know, this year we've got Mike Cabongo and Sheldon McClellan and Julian Lewis and and Jacobin Brown and Clint Chapman. We, we, we could hang with these guys maybe. And, or we've got Isaiah Taylor and Jonathan Holmes and, and, Javon Felix and okay and Prince eBay and Cameron Ridley, Cameron Ridley. Maybe we got ourselves a chance. And boy, it just became obvious in every one of those games. They're better. Kansas was better up and down the lineup. Like their starters were as good or better, and their back backup players were better. And that just sort of was all there was to it. So what made this game so wild and what it felt like? You know, why was the point total what it was? Because homie, we were better everywhere. We had you know, our starters were better. I think maybe you could say that that Jalen Wilson was a standstill or better against Kai slash Greg, but 
everywhere else, Sims played better than McCormick and Andrew Jones played as good or better than Agbaji and Coleman played better than Garrett and Ramey played better than Brown and, and our bench was better and everything was just kind of better. And it was sort of surreal feeling like this is not how it goes against Kansas. Even when we've won, you know, you think back to that 2011 year when they win at Kansas and Jacobin goes crazy and Corey Joseph banks in a three at the buzzer and we have a really good game or when when Isaiah Taylor and Jonathan Holmes combined for like 49 points to be kicked. But this wasn't that. Ramey had 18 points. Uh, we had five guys in double figures, but no one other than Ramey, I think more than, than 16. And it was it was just simply a standpoint of what this team has got and what we're capable of certainly seems to look like great depth, terrific length, a lot of explosiveness with scoring, some playmaking that we have from multiple guards, and, man, we we just there was no answer. There was no answer from Kansas. Tim, you were talking about 2009-2010 team as a reason that Texas basketball fans don't really have faith in Texas basketball. I think one big reason Texas fans don't have faith in Texas basketball is because every single year, at the beginning of every year, you're like, well, you have these players and this much talent on this team, and if these things click – this is what's going to happen. And every single year that doesn't happen. It seems like it's with that, with every single Texas sport this year, we talked about the depth that Texas has on this basketball team. That was one of the big selling points for this year. And we were, the main question was how is Shaka smart going to manage that? And the reason that this is working and the reason why Texas fans might still not be into it is because okay, is he still going to manage this going forward well? And the reason that's working is because what we talked about at the beginning of the season, the depth is actually coming to fruition. Where your two, three senior guards, your your veteran guards are actually playing like veteran guards. Kai Jones and Jericho Sims are playing well. And Greg Brown is a five-star who compliments instead of is the entire show here in this team. That's what's actually happening, and that's why this is all working, is because everything we talked about at the beginning of the season is actually coming to fruition, unlike other years in the past. And, you know, you're hitting your threes. I mean, they're 12 for 26 in that game, which is, you know, not crazy. You're not hitting over 50%, which means it's replicable, but it's still 46%. You know, you have guys coming off the bench, like Donovan Williams, Stretch Williams coming in and scoring eight points with a huge block and two rebounds, right? coming off and hitting threes. Brock Cunningham coming out and hitting a three and being a great off-the-bench player. Kai Jones is off the bench, and he's getting 12 points. You have so much depth in this team, and that is why everything's working. That's how you got to where you got against Kansas is because <laughs> patting our own backs, everything that we talked about at the beginning of the year is coming to fruition. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's sort of the, the best-case scenario this year. You know, they, they still didn't play a perfect game this against Kansas. They, you know, they, they had too many turnovers. They sh- they should have cut the, down on those. But that notwithstanding, you know, out, outside of that, they played pretty close to a perfect game. Um, so, you know, it's I, I think it's the fact. Let me it, jump in for a perfectly replicable game. Not a perfect, per- but like so they played a game that if you said, hey, what can they sustain at a high level? This was about it, yeah, other I'm, than the turnovers. Yeah, I mean, I think 
it's replicable in that even if they aren't necessarily quite as good at one stat or another as they were in this one, they can still win this game, right? Like they don't have to hit 46% from three to beat Kansas if they played like they did everywhere else, right? Like they could have gone 33% from three and still won the game by, you know, 10 or 12 or something like that. So I think it's it's a replicable formula to win games. Uh, obviously, they're not going to win games by 25 all the way, all the time. They're not going to hit 46% from three all the time. But How it is, dare you, sir? Yeah, I know. How dare sorry. you? Sorry. Yeah, sir. Bring it down a notch. I, I mean, I guess the only reason at this point for fans to, to not be bought in on at least this this individual team, as opposed to, you know, having reservations about the arc of the program, is is that... This would not be the first time that a team peaked in January. And while I don't think, I, I don't see signs of this being a team that is peaking and about to start on the roller coaster downhill, that's the thing that they still have to prove out the rest of the year. And I'm optimistic that they will prove it positively, but it's, we've been burned by this enough times in the past. I could understand why people are still a bit hesitant. It would be a weird peak considering how Oklahoma State went. For what that's worth, <laughs> it'd be more like a super high splice of a peak, uh, as opposed to a, a gradual incline up to the peak and then and then back down. But yeah, I agree with that. You know, another thing that was interesting about this game, we we're talking about the players here, but it's also how Shaka Smart has managed this team. Right? You look at the difference between how Shaka Smart played and how Kansas played Shaka Smart, where Kansas was kind of stuck between two systems of. Do we try to play our big men with Lightfoot and McCormick and Wilson? Or do we go small with Grant Foster and Harris and Inuruna and Agbaji and, and all those guys? How do we take on this Texas team? And they really couldn't find the answer throughout that entire game. It, it seemed like, to me, they were just struggling to figure out a way how to deal with Texas when, they, when Texas took away the three-point line. Yeah, I think to sort of what Tim was talking about earlier. If you... Which 30-minute segment, just uh, so we're clear? Uh, I'll, uh, uh, the third one, I think. Yeah. Welcome to hour three of Pretend We're Football. If you took the jerseys off of each team and swapped them and put them on each other you'd go and put them out on the court, you'd, you'd go, that looks about right. Like, that's sort of... Texas looks like Kansas this year. And Kansas looks a little like Texas this year. That may be what the difference is. Like it, it, it's it is a deep team. It is a good team. It is a solid all around team. That nothing about this seems like a fluke to me. It, it seems like the, the the apex of a talent cycle, but not a fluke. So then, does this adjust your opinion of Kansas going forward or Texas going forward more, and how so in each way? Yeah, I think for me, it's it adjusts my opinion of Kansas in that I I. While I said earlier, you know, at the beginning of the season, I thought there was a chance Kansas finishes finishes outside the top two in the Big 12. That didn't seem super likely, just possible. And now it seems like it's maybe not probable, but definitely more possible because Baylor is still the best team in the Big 12 right now. Um, but the gap between them and Texas has closed. Uh, there is still a gap, but it's not what I thought it was at the beginning of the year. Whereas with Kansas, they seem like they might be a step behind Texas right now. And they also, you know, they're more in the kind of the, the realm with Tech and West Virginia, you know, maybe Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, depending on how you look at things. So I, I guess I, I've sort of dropped Kansas down a notch after this just because 
you know, Kansas doesn't get beat like this. Um, they rarely get beat like that on the road and they never get beat like that at home, even though, you know, home, home corner advantage isn't what it is. In yeah. We haven't year. mentioned this. This is the worst loss for Kansas at home under Bill Self. Yeah. Ever. And, and tied for the worst, uh, since the, since Fog Allen was built in 1955 i think it was so it's 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 quite a thing and you know because it's so i don't want to say unprecedented but because it's such an outlier i'm trying not to put too much stock in it just because it is such an outlier and i need to see more data points to say okay well that can happen a lot it may just be kansas ended up having kind of a bad day because texas was as good as it was but anyway uh in terms of texas You know, I'm now willing to entertain the possibility that they can contend for the Big 12 title. I I still think Baylor is the the clear favorite at this point, but like I said, I think the gap between Baylor and Texas has narrowed enough that, you know, maybe if, you know, depending on if and when they reschedule that game in Waco, you know, maybe they only play once this year and Texas could take Baylor at home. That's uh, That's not out of the realm of possibility. And you know, if they can win in the fog, they could win in Waco, especially with the, you know, smaller fan attendance. So, I mean, I, I guess it just sort of, it kind of pushes each team, you know, it like a sort of like, a, you know, a pair of magnets with the same ends, like pushes them each away from each other a little bit. And for Texas is in the positive direction and Kansas in the negative direction. Uh, yeah. If you'd have asked me 24 hours ago, I probably would have been a little bit higher on, on saying, oh yeah, more so for Texas than Kansas. I'm probably hedging a little bit with that. Coming down but, off that serotonin high. Yeah, I suppose so. It still speaks more about Texas to me. And I guess the reason for that would be, well, twofold. When we talked a couple weeks ago, I said, I really hope we get to 11 wins in the conference. And I guess a win like this suggests, no, our talent our talents tells me that we should be closer to 12 or 13. <laughs> Maybe that's the seat or that's the floor. It's it's just so weird when you when you come off a game like this and you it's how can you not be how can you not just be impacted in a way or like I just saw Texas win at Kansas by twenty five are you kidding me what an incredible thing so it, it's hard to not have that you know be such a rudder for you in in which direction you're going to go I think Kansas is a I think Texas is a bad matchup for Kansas for a couple of reasons. I think that uh, Kansas does not have the kind of big man play that can really pressure him and and kind of bully him around. I mean, even against like Davidson, Davidson had a big guy that was comfortable pounding against Jericho. Kansas doesn't have that, so if you can't really take the action to Jericho and take advantage of him with that, then then how are you going to hurt him? So that means he can stay on the floor for longer. That means that we can take advantage of some of the things that he does do on the offensive end and and his rebounding. Part of it I'm willing to say is is maybe a little bit of, of just the fact that, that Texas is, is a bad matchup for Kansas. But you learn about every team, just about every game, and this has never happened. So this, no matter what you say, no matter what the circumstances, what this Texas team di- just did is something that no team has ever come close to doing. I mean, even the game that Texas won in 2011 was what like a 10 or 11 point stretch and maybe that Kansas team was better than this team probably but it doesn't matter uh this this hasn't been done and so so wrapping your brain around like this Texas team just did something that's never happened before is how can it not make you feel like okay well maybe I need to I need to recalibrate a little bit here and think about what this actually means so this is I just did some research real fast this is Kansas's worst loss since Texas Tech 
beat them 91 to 62 in Lubbock though February 23rd 2019. It hasn't been that long since they took a huge beating, but again, this is the biggest beating they've taken at their home. Uh they're going to remember this going forward for sure when it comes to them coming to Austin. So this isn't the end of the season again. We we to, can't stress that enough. Going forward, Texas has a lot, you know, and on that theme going forward, Texas has a lot of really big schools that are going to be playing. We're, we'll talk about one coming up in West Virginia, going to West Virginia. There's been a plenty of times where Texas got their ass handed to them in Morgantown. What is something that they need to improve and still need to improve even coming off that Kansas game? I think one is obvious. It's the turnovers, right? The unforced errors. Johnny has talked about that. Uh, at length, and you can talk about it some more probably right now, but I think another thing is is making sure that that three-point percentage is a little bit more consistent and not fluctuating between the 20s, and then sometimes you're going up to 40s and then back to 20s, and keeping it somewhere between 30s and 40s, and that's how you're going to keep your consistent winning percentage there, is because this team is so reliant on that three-point ball, if you can keep that three-point percentage up, you're going to win a lot more consistently. Well, I, I think uh, as far as the three-point shooting is is concerned, I, I am. It, it would be nice if if we could say like, okay, they're going to hit thirty-six percent a night every night. That's great. It, it, there's going to be some fluctuation. For me, I'm I'm more concerned with making sure that they are taking good threes. Uh, they still have a tendency to jack up a three here and there. That is. Just, you know, Ramey will do this where he's got a guy in front of him and it goes, nah, I'm going to take this. Whereas if they are driving the lane and kicking to an open guy who's set and taking a catch and shoot three, that's a better three than that. Um, Or, you know, some guys might be doing heat checks when they're one for four. That's not necessarily the best idea in the world. So I would like to see them keep and or improve the consistency of the quality of threes they're taking. And from there, I think that will help with the overall percentage stay somewhat consistent. I, I think the, the, the unforced turnovers is, is the other main thing for me. Uh, you know, it's one thing if I, I know Tim has talked about enjoying the increased tempo, the increased pace and how sometimes turnovers are going to result from that. And to a degree, I agree, I guess for me, it's more, I, it's one thing if you're pushing tempo and uh, the opponent picks off a ball here and there, I can live with that. It's another to just dribble the ball out of bounds or throw it to nobody, that kind of stuff. You, you have or if a, you're Andrew Jones, just lose your dribble for no apparent reason whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that I have thought of at least four times in the last two days. So yes, that sort of stuff they need to cut down on. That, those would be what I would want to see improvement from. It's almost like at times he just forgets he has the ball. I don't. <laughs> I don't. For- <laughs> he's he's always had a loose handle. He just always has. It's been. He just. I don't know. It, it, you watch Coleman pound the ball into the court like he hates the floor, and it, it's so replicable. It's so consistent. And then Andrew is like doing freeform jazz or something. I, I I don't know how to describe it. It's just. It's so. It's it's a little and one ish maybe. It's like he's he, he, it'll work great on the playground. It'll work great in a rec center, and if he makes the NBA, he, who knows? It might work out well there because they're they're very improvisational there <laughs> at times. But uh, for now, it just kind of drives me a little insane when it happens. If we're gonna rely on some of the perimeter production from 
Courtney, Andrew, Donovan, and Greg, which we are. That's where a lot of those, the unforced turnovers, the live ball turnovers that we see, That's it's not going to stop from Donovan and Greg. Those guys are going to turn the ball over. Uh, I suppose Andrew is still more likely, even though I would think he's a little bit less ball dominant than Courtney. What I liked about how Courtney's been playing in the last couple of games is I feel like he's a little bit more probing with his dribble. So I, I think he's yeah. getting a little bit better with that. So I... I I like that, and I think that that's um, a way for him to to hopefully be certainly not perfect, but 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 definitely less less frustrating. He, so he has gone the, to his left a couple times too, so that's nice. And he's he's taken in the screen, right? So we'll we'll come in the screen a lot of times. It's Jericho or Kai or, or whoever Brock or Greg, and instead of forcing the issue, he'll kind of take a quick step back, survey the scene. Look where he wants to go, either pass to the top of the key or probe a little bit to the right and see see what the defense does. He's you you can kind of see the game slowing down for him a little bit as a playmaker, which is what would happen with a normal junior. That's that's cool stuff, but the second half against Kansas, it was so awesome to see all of Andrew and Courtney and Matt attack downhill. We have not seen that this year. Not not a half where all three of those guys have done that. It was awesome to see that, but it's still 20 minutes. So we, we have to be able to see that kind of ability to, to force the issue with the basketball. Cause as Johnny said, those three point shots in the second half, there's a reason that they shot eight for 13. They were terrific shots. They were uncontested shots that, that Texas got lane touches and was able to go ahead and, and pass out of that. We need to see that kind of stuff more often. The two or three hard bounce dribbles into contested three point shots off of isolation stuff. No team in the country is going to be good at that, and we're certainly no exception. Courtney is is capable occasionally of getting hot from that. Andrew as well, but that's that's just not a way to consistently win games. But man, I don't know. Yeah, look, we need to get better at limiting turnovers. I'd like to see us get to the foul line more. I'd love to see us be a little bit more aggressive on the offensive glass. I would like to see us maybe cause some more turnovers ourselves, but I'm picking nits here. Like it just, we just be, you know, with the exception of the, of the last four minutes against Villanova, this is a team that's played well enough to be undefeated with one of the top schedules in the country. And it's, it's, I'm not saying that what, how they played is perfect, but I, I would say that expecting a whole lot better than what we've got Seems a little bit crazy considering you're talking about a bunch of 18, 19, and 20 year olds sprinkled in with some, you know, with a little bit older players like Andrew or Matt. But this is a team that's played really well. And, and can they be better? Yeah. But if they play better than this, if they play better than this, that's some scary shit for everybody. Like Gonzaga, Baylor, Iowa, doesn't matter who you are, Villanova, like if we play better, like who's going to have a chance? And to remind you, what was the reason they lost to Villanova? It was because of the turnovers, the unforced error turnovers. Again, those are co- those are going to cost you some key games like that. And if you're not hitting the threes, it's going to cost you games against lesser teams than Villanova. And there's some good games coming up for Texas right here. The first one being Iowa State coming to town. And Iowa State, it always seems like Texas is going to beat them out of the arena, like especially last year when they lost their best player. But then Iowa State came out and punched Texas in the mouth. This seems like a game that could be a trap game for Texas 
coming off a 25-point win over Kansas, now being ranked number four in the nation. Everything is going Texas's way. Now they have a target on their back. Iowa State's coming in. What's Iowa State's deal this year? So uh, Iowa State is is not very good this year, but they have the potential to play anybody tough. They lost to West Virginia by five in Morgantown in a pretty winnable game. They were actually beating Baylor with 10 minutes left in that game. Some of that may have been Baylor coming back to earth on their three-point shooting a little bit because they were not going to average 46% on the season like they had thus far. Um, But some of that is also Iowa State's doing. So the thing you got to watch out for with Iowa State is, is basically what do you do to contain Rasir Bolton? Because if you can contain him and you make his life difficult, it makes everything else easier uh, against it for, for Iowa State. They've got a, a senior in Coleman Lands who can shoot the three pretty well, but he's still, you know, I, I, I'm not super sold on him as being a difference maker. They also turn the ball over a lot, and they don't rebound well. So if Texas can control the glass like they've been doing, if they they can play with the same sort of effort on both defensive and offensive rebounds, uh, if they can turn Iowa State over, they they should be favored in this game. But it's not like the Trent Johnson years of TCU where it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're going to win this thing, right? Um, Iowa State still can play with anybody for stretches, so Texas definitely should not take them lightly. If Iowa State can find a rhythm offensively and make it a game where they're trading buckets with Texas, then they can certainly do that. And where I think Baylor struggled and West Virginia struggled is, is both of those games, I think were in the sixties or fifties, depending on, on how those went. I want to say West Virginia won like 65 to 60 in Morgantown. And I think Baylor was something like 63 to 58 or whatever, 68. Anyways, it was, not crazy low tempo, but but certainly low enough scoring that if you give Iowa State a chance to to execute on offense, they have some offensive players. And and as Johnny said, look, Rasiel Bolton's good. I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up being first team Big Twelve or or real close to it because he's a talented cat. That being said, if Texas can get out and move and control tempo against Iowa State. And if we can make life difficult for them around the perimeter, I'm not sure that Iowa State has the answer inside. You know, like a guy like Cameron Lard is no longer there. Xavier Foster, who's a talented freshman, he's he's just probably not going to be able to get it done in, in a game like this. And you don't want to never say never, but with Iowa State, what they've done so well, whether it was with Ho- Hoiberg or early on in Prom's time, is they've had the the backcourt playmakers to really control and and create games at a pace that they want to play. I, d- I don't think they have that ability. I want to say Iowa State's defensive uh, numbers are they're off. They're like teams are averaging like 74 points a game against them. If, if Texas is around that average or higher, we're going to win probably going away because I just think our defense is so much better than Iowa State's. So if we're able to kind of get the game that I would assume you would play, I don't, I don't think it, it should be crazy, crazy, eh? unlikely for Texas to win, at least not handily, but, but I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Again, we're so, so concerned about, well, now Tim jinxed everything or think about all the times that we've said they should win comfortably and then they don't. But if this year is different, 
then this is not a game that we should be ultra concerned about. Not that Iowa State can't jump up and beat a team like Texas in Ames, because there's still still something about playing in Hilton, but but it would be very disappointing, very disappointing if you win at home or sorry, if you win by that margin in Allen and then read the press clippings, look at that number four ranking in the AP in the AP rankings and say, okay, well, well then this game is gonna be no problem. And to Will's point, I think when he talked about how Kansas is going to remember that game when they come back to Austin in a few weeks, if Texas does not remember getting shit on by Iowa State last year, then shame on them. Like it's it's not as if this is a wildly different team right now from the team that smacked the Longhorns last year in Ames. So if you can't get up to play a team that just you know took you behind the woodshed last year, then then what are we doing? So this should be a revenge tour for Texas this year. That's what this should be. With that in mind, getting punched in the mouth. West Virginia in Morgantown. I don't think we can say it enough. West Virginia has killed Texas in Morgantown time and time again. And this year, there's times where they look like they are world beaters. And then there's times where they look like they're, they can get beat by anybody. The team that Texas just beat by 25 absolutely raked West Virginia over the coals. West Virginia it had trouble with an Oklahoma State team that Texas beat pretty well. But at the same time, this West Virginia team absolutely punted Richmond out of their arena. This West Virginia team continually beats Texas by 20 points every single year. You know, I think it's, I was like, oh, it's, it was like three years ago. No, it happened last year. Last year, Texas absolutely got rocked by West Virginia. On the tour of revenge that this should be this year, Johnny, give me three ways Three keys to this game that Texas needs to do to make sure that West Virginia is not the West Virginia that played Richmond and instead is the West Virginia that played Kansas and played Oklahoma State. So uh, I think there is some reconfiguration going on with West Virginia right now because Oscar Sheboy is gone and he is not coming back. So they have to go in and, and change around their lineups a little bit, become sort of a little more perimeter focus. I mean, I know that it's only a relative term with West Virginia. They're not a perimeter focused team, even though they got Miles McBride and Taz Sherman this year who can hit a three. They're still going to be inside out. They're still going to be happier with a rock fight that where they rebound the ball 48 times and get 20 extra shots off you uh, that way. So with that in mind, Culver is the sort of the headliner here for West Virginia in that he is a guy who matches up with Jericho Sims pretty well. He matches up with any of the the bigs pretty well, any of the Texas bigs pretty well. So if he really gets going, that's, that's going to spell trouble. And, you know, th- this is a West Virginia team that has been the closest loss for Gonzaga thus far this year. They only lost to him by five points. So it's, again, I, I don't want to say not to be taken lightly because Nobody in the Big 12 should be taken lightly, uh, but it, this is not a game where Texas should be the clear favorite, even though West Virginia is going through some sort of internal stuff right now and trying to figure themselves out a little bit. They're still a top 20 talented team, and they still have a very specific look and a spe- very specific design to the, to the team. So I really think if you can limit Culver somewhat that makes things a lot more difficult for West Virginia. But the thing I'm 
I'm going to be most interested in is watching how our guard, our guards defend Miles McBride and Taz Sherman, uh, especially McBride since he, he does uh, handle the ball a lot. If they can keep those guys from getting in a rhythm, it's it's going to make things difficult for West Virginia. And at that point it becomes, can Texas hit their shots? Because if Texas can hit their shots and limit those guys, then they should be the favorite. It feels like the path to beating West Virginia is as straightforward as maybe any team in the Big 12. Compete on the glass, defend from three, hit from three. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so West Virginia doesn't like throw crazy stuff at you. They're not going to like give you weird defensive looks. They're not going to come out with some offensive wrinkle that you've never seen before. They're, they're going to punch you. And they and don't, if, they don't really press anymore either. I mean, it happens once in a while, but it's not, it's not what it was. So if right, which, whichever team wins a three point battle, as far as their percentages, is in a great position if or even if we do but West Virginia out rebounds us by 15 rebounds and what are you going to do so and and they're even if Texas plays well they're capable of that but it's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of nuance to this it's just hey here are these key factors whenever you play West Virginia with with a team that's that's going to focus on their interior game like they can and have a guy like Culver who can kind of dominate a game from that position uh, even as a passer and facilitator so it's it's pretty straightforward what you have to do. So Jericho Sims needs to play well. We need decent shooting games from all three of Andrew and and Matt and Courtney. It would be nice to see Greg and Kai come through and, and be at least impact rebounders where they can. But playing in Morgantown's tough and I, I think that they're gonna have to they're gonna have to at least match a lot of the intensity that that especially if, if West, we're as we're watching or recording right now, West Virginia is down six at Oklahoma State. If if West Virginia loses this game, then you know, and they start they start one and three in the conference, it's going to be tough to see how they're going to not come out on fire to avoid a, a true a true dumpster fire for the beginning of their conference season for a team that had aspirations to be second in the conference. Can you imagine what kind of hell it would be? if Brock Cunningham was on West Virginia. <laughs> he is, he, it's, I mean, that's part of his allure, right? Is he's that guy who goes and gets a bunch of boards and goes and does all the little things and him on West Virginia, he would be a terror. It really feels like Kansas has had a Brock Cunningham for the last like 35 years. Yeah. Yeah. They've had some kind of white guy <laughs> that's six foot four, six foot five, that does crazy little things that, that just, drives everyone crazy yeah but yeah no doubt so i think everybody's had enough of this basketball talk i know i have i i'm done with basketball right now it's football i want to talk about the linebacker coach for texas and who that's going to be tim's got his treatise on wetlick he's he's ready to go with yeah johnny do you have any thoughts on the west on the linebacker coach at uh texas right now um no but i'm 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 expecting my parents to text me about it any day now, so that should be great. Cool, cool, cool. Uh, well, I guess since we're done with that, you can pretend to get to know us. Does that sound cool for y'all? Mike Stoops or bust? Any 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 any, any uh y'all y'all want to pretend to get to know us? Anybody? Sound cool? Sure. sure. Tosh Lapoy or bust? All right, all right, all right. Then let's go ahead and pretend to get to know us. Uh, this week's question and really. I enjoy Kevin Green or bust. <laughs> oh, too soon. 
I enjoy doing this because Tim, apparently the guys at Inside Texas like to play along in the comment section, and then he gets to play. So I've been choosing these questions so that the people, the fans of the show, who all nine of you, I think, is what we're up to at this point, after year or four, five? I forget. I always forget. No, it, wait, now that Texas is winning, we're up to like 12. Ooh, wow. Yeah. That's, that's quite a bit. I don't know if we can handle that. Wait, we definitely cannot. We can't. I have forty-three Twitter followers. Wow! It's probably probably because you tweeted three times this week. I'm up to six times. Oh, it's wow. pretty fun. <laughs> it's a hundred percent more. But I do choose these so that people will play along, and I, I feel like this is a good one this week. I feel like this is a good one, y'all. If animals could talk, which would be the rudest, and then which would be the most polite? Who wants to go first? So I feel like the rudest would be Johnny, because that guy's a dick. I agree. And the ni- the that most polite would be asshole. me by I a lot. I am not an animal! <laughs> I'm a human being! There's a dog that lives not far from my house, and when I walk Murphy, especially at night, we know to be very careful about walking by that house because the dog is so loud. He is so loud. And there have been a number of times where we'll be walking across the street and, and both Murphy and I will like look across the street like, all right, is that big white dog there or no? Or are we okay? And then it feels like the second I turn my head, like, okay, I think we're safe. And even from 35 feet, I, I feel his breath on me and I feel just the, the decibels coming from his throat. Just really making me feel really insecure and 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 unworthy of this of this dog. So rude. That I feel dog. like some dogs would be the worst neighbors if they could talk. They'd be that asshole neighbor, which is like, "Don't step on my property. Don't step on my property. Mm-hmm. I stand my ground. This is mm-hmm. a stand your ground state." For most polite, I gotta say, what are the little what are the little like rodent kind of things that that eat mites and termites and uh possum possum i think possums are probably really really nice things we had one that was like kind of around our house the last couple of years in the winter in particular he he kind of burrowed not too far from our shed we have a decent sized backyard and and uh it was it was it was fine he seemed like a nice little guy Kind of, you know, just kind of slow, seemed to be very thoughtful about our yard, giving us plenty of space, uh, didn't ever, like, take take the four-wheeler for a spin, which was nice. That's not his four-wheeler, but he respected that, and I, I was glad that that was the case, and, but, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say that one fucker dog and, uh, and possums. It's an interesting, interesting one is possums. Johnny, what do you think? And as we speak, West Virginia just went up four. They're on like a twenty-five to three run. Good gravy. All right, Johnny. So I, I'm, okay, my turn. All right. Uh, th- thank you for the ticker update, Tim. Um, <laughs> we're done with basketball, man. This is the done with basketball segment. I'm never done with basketball. That is very true. Um, so for the rudest, you want to play Rocket League after this, Johnny? <laughs> Uh, Which version well, of Rocket League? The if, basketball if, version? If, Tim, if you could stop giving soliloquies, I might be able to play Rocket League before bedtime. How's that? All right. <laughs> so uh, for for the rudest 
animals. I, at first I was thinking kangaroos because everyone says that they're real asshole animals, that they're, they're the worst. Like they're just the meanest things. Have you seen that skydiver from Australia who comes down onto that one thing and he's like, hey, what's up, Skip? And, <laughs> and this kangaroo comes from like 150 yards. And as soon as the skydiver drops, the kangaroo just kicks him right in the face. <laughs> no, I haven't seen that. It's, a, it's uh, awesome. So that might be enough to just go with that one. Uh, but I, I really think killer whales are assholes. They're, they're quite, they're, they're some pretty, they're pretty big assholes. They, they're they're giant murder beasts that we love because of SeaWorld, basically. Like they, if you, it, I I watch far too much nature documentary footage in, in a game. Like this is it's sort of my go to thing these days. Where there's always a planet Earth or Nat Geo Wild something or this. It's zoo. called OAN, Johnny. Yeah. Say it by its name. Yeah, right. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's that. Those are the rudest animals. Um, there went two of our twelve followers. So it's, but see the the the, the killer whales. They're smart as hell, and they hunt in packs, and they they do some really just ruthless shit like they will throw seals around like a beach ball like they not even necessarily to kill it like they'll eventually kill it but they will just bat it back and forth and shit or like they'll figure out that a, a like a, a walrus or a baby seal is sitting up on a, a, a small iceberg and they'll just kind of bump the iceberg to knock the seal into the water so they can get it or they will they will actually nudge the the iceberg to get it under sea under sea level so they can knock it off of this. They just they do a lot of. You really have a bone to pick with giant, you know, with killer whales. I didn't know that this was a thing. Yeah, they're. I mean, look, I they're awesome, but I'm sure they're complete assholes because they're very much an apex predator. Um, as far as as far as the nicest, I'm gonna go with great white sharks. Cause who the fuck are you? What they just they just want to taste things. They don't. They they're just here. Just they're just trying to say hi, but they don't have hands, so they got to say hi with their mouth. It's not our. It's not their fault that we're squishy, right? Like they're just there to be like, hey, how's it going? Uh, you new around here? And and then Jaws they've got my leg. Just trying to say hello. Yeah, he was. You want to get high? Yeah, pretty much. That's what he was. He was just there. They're just, look, they're friendly. They're neighborly. They want to tell you their oatmeal recipe, but they have three rows of teeth, so it doesn't work out well. It says two and a half cups for every cup of the steel cut oats. You want to go 2.75 cups? Enjoy! Oh, by the way, that there were Great your, white sharks are nice because they have three rows of teeth, but boy... Those killer whales are assholes because they're apex predators, man. This logic is is infallible, by the way. You cannot <laughs> you cannot find a find a flaw in any of it. So, will all right? I, I want to go with. I can't believe no one said first. Robert Killebrew yet for the rudest animal. Robert Killebrew, you, wasn't mean, he the Texas linebacker that yeah. got like a personal yeah he like averaged every single game fouls a game? Yes, that was him. I want to go backwards here. I want to go polite and then meanest. The, so the it's rudest. like a date with Tim. <laughs> a good date with me. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. We're getting excited here. 
So I feel like capybaras are pretty pretty damn chill. I don't know. I don't know if anybody's seen a capybara. They're just pretty much just hanging out, you know, yeah, chomping true. on some some leaves. Pretty yep. chill. Pretty chill yeah. animals. But I want to say a giant panda because they're a bear. But have you ever heard of a giant panda attacking somebody? Yeah, Kung Fu Panda. Okay, Tim. All right. Here. You fucker. Our battle will be legendary. Look, I, pandas are definitely rude. And, and here's why. Because they're not apex predators. Because we are trying to save them, and all they need to do is fuck, and they won't do it. Oh, you're right. You're right. Like you that's know that's they are, rude. They are pretty much assholes. That's we get them. Rude. We get them panda porn. We 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 fly in other pandas for them, and they're like, nah, nah. Okay, then I'll go with capybara. I'm kind of hungry. I'll go with capybara. I feel like there's nobody who can come up with a capybara fact and be like, no, this is why they're rude. Now capybaras are pretty goddamn chill, and I will hear nothing else. Good day, sir. But for rudest animals, I feel like there's a lot of rude animals that you could pick from. Sw- Canadian geese. Fuckers. I hate them. You could go with cats. Those, go- those guys are just, I mean, we, we don't even need to hear what they're saying, but we know that whatever they're saying is probably some, some rude-ass shit. The FCC coming out of their mouth, it would just be one beep. Probably, right? Am I, am I wrong? Am I wrong? I, I have I have had an asshole cat, so yes. I'll, I'll, I'll I feel like it's got to be octopuses, Jeff Haley. Those motherfuckers just sit there and do nothing at the aquarium. Those fuckers are the rudest thing because I go there to watch the octopuses do stuff and they won't do anything. Am I right, Jeff Haley? Am I right? Tim, you like this deep cut? I just like that Johnny has no idea what we're talking about. He doesn't even know who Jeff Haley is. That's true. He's like, what's happening here? That's true. He's, he he's sounds like an incredible nerd, but that's all I know. That's, that's Those the, damn octopuses, man. Those damn octopuses. I just feel... Are you not saying octopi on purpose? I Yeah, I'm saying octopuses just to spite them. Just to spite <laughs> them. They don't deserve to be called No octopi. respect on that name. Zero respect. They don't deserve respect. correct English. You know what? They're more like octopussies. Am I right? Am I right, guys? <laughs> Tim, unmute it so you could I can hear you laugh. <laughs> 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 uh, I'm, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna blow Will's mind when when I t- get him to watch the Netflix documentary, My Octopus Teacher, because he's he's gonna end that and be like, "God damn it! Why am I crying over an octopus?" Oh no, I'm sure they're great. There, there was one. There was, I mean, Tim went with very specific animals, so I will tell you that there is, what well, was one really great <laughs> octopus out there. Johnny, why is it always dying animals with you? Well, I mean, octopus only. That octopus only lives for like a year, so you know. Have you watched Finding Dory? No. There's a fun octopus there. The the guy from Married with Children and Modern Family. Dutch? I can't think of his name. Anyways, thank y'all for pretending we were football for the past hour. I've been your host, Will Bazer. You guys can find me on Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. Mr. Johnny Brashear, where can we find you? 
uh, on Twitter at bitter white guy where I am uh, making sure to do my daily tweet of telling Ted Cruz to go fuck himself. Um, other than that, I also talk about basketball here and there. Uh, uh, bitterwhiteguy.substack.com. That's where my recaps are. Uh, and I have a Patreon, which uh, I have more than one and less than many patrons. So uh, that's always great. Johnny, I've always wondered, how did you come up? How did you get the name Bitter White Guy? Because I feel like that would be a pretty damn difficult name to get on the Internet. You know, funny you mention that, because uh, I feel like we talked about this yesterday, but uh, huh. it, it started on LiveJournal uh, back in 2002. Uh, I, I ran across this recently. I was in second grade, Johnny. Yeah, and I was way more bitter than I am now back then. So <laughs> yeah, the name was was much more appropriate back then than it is now. Um, so, yeah, and then I just I started using it there, and... Then uh, from there, I just it just kept being available everywhere I would go. So I just kept registering it whenever I would try a new thing. So that's that's huh. how it started. Huh. How much less bitter have you gotten since I've been in your life? Uh, Give us a percentage. Like, how much is attributable to you or how much just in general? Either. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Give us an average of it's, the two. So I started seeing... Uh, my, my, my current girlfriend in 2004. Bitter white so, girl. Yeah, she's definitely not, which is part of why I'm much less bitter. Um, so Tim, I guess we started talking sometime around, let's say 2010-ish, maybe 2008. Yep, that'd be right. Around there. Yep. So I was already on the glide path to less bitterdom just, just by getting laid regularly, um, <laughs> and having, having a some emotional support in my life uh that that tends to tends to mellow a dude out usually so um so significantly during you know your your 12 years or so in my life um how much is attributable to you on xbox live a fair amount but that's yeah so how's that does that work i think so okay he'll take it so tim um you don't want to talk right you have anything yeah, I am tweeting up a storm. Oh, that's right. right yeah, Tim is on Twitter. Storm, everybody on Twitter. Inside Texas Hoop, no S, and at InsideTexas.com, we have an awesome community and great mods. And uh, there's a guy named Toadvine who's a total douchebag. So avoid him. Just just put him on ignore immediately. But uh, otherwise, a lot of great I, posters. I've seen that name he- elsewhere and can confirm that. Yep. Otherwise, just you'll be great. Just toad vine on ignore, and the rest of the of the whole entire site is perfect. Tim, anybody else we should we should avoid? Bob in Houston. Bob in Houston. uh, Depends on how many drinks he's had recently. Feel like Uh, he's. Feel like I've heard from you guys off the show. You guys, every time we're not on air, just keep on talking, telling me how bad of a guy he is. I'm not, I'm not in the legal person. position to say anything bad about Bob in Houston because he has access to very sensitive documents of mine. So uh, I'm just going to say that he's a he's a really one of the best dudes out there and uh, sure would love a discount on the next job he's got to do. 
Well, I've never, I, I am not three divorces in, so I'm in a different position than Johnny. But uh, Bob Houston, Bob and Houston is is an asshole. One of the drunkest, yeah, one of the drunkest men I know. Um, just lives his life in an alcoholic haze. But no, our our community is awesome. I love the website. It's cool to see where we're going. So come hang out with us. And you guys are listening to the Hornscast channel. That's the Hornscast channel you can find on any podcasting platform. Thank y'all for listening, and we will see y'all next week. Tim, take it away. Hook 'em. So yesterday I'm getting ready to watch the game against Kansas, and um, it just kind of works out this way that a lot of times when I'm going to watch the game, I might watch the first three or four minutes. And when I watch the first three or four minutes, it kind of gives me a little bit of a sense of how the game's going to go. So I watched that game against Kansas, and as it was happening, my kids were with my wife at her school, and they were going to go hang out. They, they ended up watching the Lorax, which is kind of a fun movie, Danny Vito. It's great. Um also, Ed Helms and uh, Zach Afron, good actors. You like you like to see it, and it, it, it's got a nice message. Although Dr. Seuss is a is a is a kind of terrible racist, but that's okay. And so they're watching that, and I end up going to Jersey Mike's. They just got a new Jersey Mike's in Marion, so Marion's uh, one of the neighboring towns from Cedar Rapids, and uh, it's it's been the home of such great players as uh, Jason Bohannon and Zach Bohannon and Jordan Bohannon and Marcus Page. And you get the idea. So I go out there and I buy a Jersey Mike's and I got one of the giant subs. I was too, it's too big. I'll tell you that much. Too big. I shouldn't get a giant. I just got a, I got a turkey and provolone for myself. A giant. Thought, why not? I'm, I'm kind of a giant guy. That's <laughs> uh, a euphemism. But I ended up uh, having some of that. But I probably would have been fine just having a regular of that. And so I, I brought it back to my kids and they they had their they had their kids meal. I had my giant or half of my giant sub. And then went back, but by the time I had stopped the initial recording of that, I, I watched to the point where Texas was up 10-2, to 2, and I was like, this could be great. So I'm, I'm feeling kind of hyped about it or whatever, so I, I come back home. My kids had just watched the Lorax. I was like, you can go upstairs, but you're just you're not going to have screen time. You can play. You can read. You can go outside until they get Tepperoon, whatever it is. I think they went outside and played in the snow for a while. I don't know. But, but I ended up watching the game. It was, it was good. I was really excited. 